and welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. It's been a couple weeks, and these two boys are ready to talk a little bit of football and maybe steer you in the right, wrong direction on your uh, too early AFC and NFC South picks. But of course, always joining me from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Walter, it's been a couple weeks, my man. How you been? I'm doing great right now, dude. This is one of the best times of year for sports. We're in the heart of baseball season. The NBA and NHL playoffs are right down to it now. We're in the conference or semifinals, whatever you want to call it, depending on the sport. And then, of course, there's Euro 2020 going on. This is about as good of a time for a sports fan as possible. And then the best part is that as soon as all these sports wrap up, the NFL and college football are right about the kickoff. This is the dream time to be a sports fan. Could not agree more. And I'm still on a not gambling binge. I, I, I guess that's how we will put it. So it's really been irking me to gamble so much on Euro, but it has been a blast. I can't ask for more. There's a lot of great games, even with these teams you don't think are going to do anything. They are sticking around here late. You got Hungary and Germany. I played a little bit earlier. That was a pretty close one. I'm, I believe actually ended in a tie. It was a tie. And here's the crazy thing about that game too is that Germany was 10 minutes away from being eliminated today. That group had Germany, Portugal, France. Hungary and France. I was going to say, Hungary was kind of just this written off, they're going to get massacred in this group. Those three others are going to all go through, all have a legitimate chance to win this entire tournament. And then Hungary not only tied the defending World Cup champions the other day, they had a lead pretty much this entire game. No, France is a defense. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm an idiot. I thought you were still talking about Germany. You're so great. I love you so much. Anyways, what I was going to say is that on top of that, they led the almost entire game today. I think they scored their first goal in the 11th minute. Germany tied it up in the 66th. They respond two minutes later to take a lead. And I tell you what, the Germans in those crowds, they were on pins and needles with about 10 minutes left. If the results held as they would have, it looked as though Germany would have been sitting at home. So it's been an awesome tournament. Now you have Germany and England matching up this next in the round of 16. It should be a lot of fun. And unlike you, I've been gambling too much on this tournament. I don't know what it is. It's something about these giant like major tournaments in soccer. I can't help myself. I have to throw a little action in there. It's the 9 a.m. starts. Like If you can start your morning with a bet and it goes right, you just ride that wave. So if you got a couple good bets, that's how I got that's how I got up pretty big with sports gambling. 7:30 Turkish Soccer League, baby. That's what got me going. You know, I'd sit there, I'd have my morning poop, roughly around, you know, 6:30, 6:45, kind of skim that, do a little bit of research, and then basically just ride the tie or the draw the whole entire time and that paid off. But yeah, when you have these World Cups or Euros, the way that they're set up, it's just so entertaining. You have a bulk of games Every single day, what you had seems like three to four every day, and now what you had three in the group stage. You have double headers at twelve and three o'clock Eastern, and now it's about to get very interesting with the elimination stage. Do you have a favorite or someone that you're really backing on this? Because obviously you can't you can't do with U.S. But is there a team that's really sticking out to you that you you find yourself cheering for a lot? I always root for Poland in these tournaments. I always get really fired up because, as you can tell with my last name, Lukashensky, 
very, very Polish. My family, I mean, if you ever saw a picture of me, I'm what you think of with Polish American, just this overweight, food loving, like Eastern European guy that's always just happy and go lucky, you know? Just shoving, shoving sausages in the, in the old gullet. Throw a little kielbasa, throw some brats at it. It's a great time. Polish sausage. And then today I had a lot of hope out of nowhere because Poland, ironically, they were down 2 nothing late in that game. They needed to win today to move on. I got so excited. They scored two that goals. That was an amazing game. I was just so... They scored, what, in the 83rd minute to tie it up. Two straight. And after... Both came out of nowhere. It felt like Poland was kind of just going to quietly go into the night. And well, yeah, Robert Lewandowski kept that team alive. He was. He was. He had the whole country of Poland right on his back. I mean, he splits. First of all, it was a great ball on his first. It was a great through ball to him. But then he what? He goes through like four defenders, just a little sidestep, and then just fucking rips it. Oh, that's the shit you only can do on FIFA. You would think until you see this man. Then you're right. Then they scored again. They're in the 83rd, 84th minute to tie it up. It's one of those crazy things about international soccer that always bums me out. Because you know until basically Ronaldo won, what, four or five years ago now, Euro 2016, it was Messi and Ronaldo have never won these like major tournaments on the international stage. It, and then you can honestly say the same thing about Robert Lewandowski. The only difference is he doesn't have those expectations because Poland is far from a soccer powerhouse in the, in the world. And it's a shame because I thought that this, with this grouping, I really thought they'd be able to get out. But you, they had the red card in that first game against Slovakia. And then as soon as that happened, it felt like they were fighting and swimming against stream the entire time. But now that they're out, it's more or less, I'm just kind of rooting for for a fun product. I think uh, if you made me pick right now, I would be picking France to win. But I, I mean, I love watching Holland. I love watching France, Germans, England. It just, I'm looking at this point, it's just a quality standpoint. But I don't know, what about you? Do you have a team that you kind of root for or pull for when it's not U.S. involved? Well, it's hard because there's no Zlatan Ibrahimovic on Sweden. So Sweden's kind of out a little bit. I do like France. They are stacked. I've always been a real fan, real big fan of Paul Pogba. Croatia, I'll always back Luka Modric. I would always back Luka. And Croatia is just a gorgeous country. That's somewhere I want to travel. So I always have a little place in my heart for Croatia. And the last World Cup, I threw a lot of money on them, and they did pretty damn well for me. That was a I'll special time, too. I mean, talk about it. They, everybody wanted Croatia to beat France. I'm right there with you. Just riding riding that high, it was awesome, especially for gambling, because that was the only thing that was keeping me above the water, my head above the water. I'd be basically losing everything else. Spain was fucking me. Germany was fucking me. But Croatia just kept me coming back and just riding them out. But, you know, I also like Belgium, you know, the team that they do have. They're the ones who scored. They're tied for the most points that they've scored in the group stage there with the, with the Netherlands and, of course, the Italians. So... We'll reevaluate who I'm actually truly going to be rooting for once there's going to be some eliminations here. But I'm, I might have to stay on the same train with you and go with France for the time being. It's kind of the, I guess, consensus pick or at least the most popular pick out there. I mean, that team's just disgusting. They're loaded. And not to mention, N'Golo Conte is one of my favorite players in the entire globe. The guy's like five foot three. He doesn't look like he belongs on that stage. And then what's he do? You can't dribble within about three arm's length of the guy because all of a sudden there's a counter going the other direction the guy's incredibly fast incredibly smart and 
he just makes it so much fun to watch. And then, of course, you have uh, Mbappe, who's still, what, 21, 22? He's going to be too around young. forever, too. Too young to be this good at soccer already and just dominating on an international and obviously at the club stage. But while we're on the subject of the Euro Cup, there's a big fiasco that happened here this past week where Cristiano Ronaldo was holding a press conference. I want to say it was before Portugal's game against Hungary, where you see him visibly move the two Coca-Cola bottles from his right side to his left side out of camera just to replace it with his water. You can see him kind of saying maybe Coca-Cola under his breath, very disgusted. And when he pops it up, you can kind of see him saying agua. But the biggest thing of that is apparently Coca-Cola's sales have dropped an estimated $2.8 billion since that has happened. It was originally reported it was around $4 billion, but then they popped back up and then it kind of came back down. So overall through the week, $2.8 billion of revenue was lost for Coca-Cola simply because Cristiano Ronaldo moved them out of the camera. Wally, how do you feel about this? Would this be this big of a deal if it was LeBron James that did it? Okay, first, I, think that, I think that's a good comparison. Well, here's my thing. I know that he's not saying Pepsi over Coke because he brought in water instead, but anybody that's going to take the non-Coke side in an argument basically is dead to me. You already, I, we talked about it. I'm a big dude. I know pop ain't good for you. It's definitely cluttering up my body. Guess what, though? I'm throwing the Cokes back left and right. I'm part of the reason it went from $4 billion down to $2.3 billion down. I, I tried to kind of hedge that little gap a little bit. I got to save the Coca-Cola polar bears as much as I can. So for me, Messi's the goat for this alone. Seriously, this is, it's Coke. He's going to do like the, what, Kendall Jenner and come out and take a sip of water and save the world from racism or whatever she did that for? Yeah, that's all he had to do is just sip and be like, yeah, I'm also having sex with Kendall Jenner like half the NBA is. Why can't I get thrown in there? But yeah, I mean... Okay, dude, answer my question about uh, about LeBron then. If this was LeBron that did that, do you think that you'd see a spike in Coca-Cola? He'll probably do it in, to- like, what, not Toon Squad 2, but Space Jam 2. So I might as well just wait a month until that movie comes out when he goes and fights for his Instagram followers or whatever the premise is. God, that movie is going to be absolute dog shit. I am not going to spend my... I'm going to just re-watch the Toy Story trilogy instead of watching that. I'm just bummed out because I love the first one so much. And I think all of us that grew up watching that movie just loved it. And I think that if this movie came out even 10 years ago, maybe with prime LeBron, now we're on that tail end. Even five years ago, I think it would have probably been better. But there's that LeBron fatigue out there right now where I feel like a lot of people are... Whether they're tired of him on the court or tired of him off the court, I just don't know if it's going to do as well as it would have before. But uh, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping they prove me wrong. But I just I've got very low hopes for it. MJ's the goat in basketball and in acting. I don't even need to watch the full movie to see if he is good at acting. LeBron James, that is, because the trailers have been absolute dog shit. And yeah, whatever the premise of this movie is, will never be as good. As, you know, the premise in the first. It's an absolute classic. Michael Jordan, you know, semi in his prime, not like towards the tail end of it like like LeBron is. And just way more, the guy just looks way more relatable. He's out there playing golf. You got, he, with Bill Murray, Larry Bird, LeBron's not going to be in there playing golf, getting getting in that sinkhole of the par three that they're at or whatever. You really, okay, you're a LeBron hater. How did you really miss the opportunity 
to bring up that LeBron probably is a better actor when you could have mentioned all the flopping. I felt that was low-hanging fruit for you, and you just turned her head and said, you know what, no, I'm going to look past the fact when he gets poked on, like, the cheek, he goes down like there's a sniper on D-Day. I don't know. I'm maturing over the over the life of this podcast, I guess. And it's a lot better when you have someone who likes LeBron like you just coming clean and admitting that right there. So that's even better than me saying in itself. I so don't think most you, LeBron at, like lovers or LeBron sexuals would say that he doesn't flop. Like it's obvious he flops, but it's just the defense is, oh, everybody's doing it. So therefore it's not that bad because LeBron does too. Cool. Are we going to do a Space Jam 3 with all the other washed-up stars? I'm over it. We're not talking about LeBron or Space Jam 2 anymore. Let's flip it over to a little fun football story, then we'll pop into some actual football stories. So the Madden 22 cover was unveiled this week. You know, they put out a little bit of teaser. Well, I believe it was two weeks ago they put out a teaser. when It looked like an older goat and a baby goat. So, yeah, gee, wonder what that would be. We come to find out Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes, but it's the MVP edition. So I, I kind of have some bones to pick with this, but I want to throw it to you before we get over there. What do, you, do you like the cover? I, th- I believe it's the first time in Madden history there's going to be someone on the cover twice. And then there's two people. So it's a legend. It's going to be a legendary edition. I'm sure it will go for $200 just to be the exact same as it was last year. Thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, Walter? Until they actually make the game I guess evolve because it feels like it's the same game year in a year out with roster updates. Doesn't it feel that way? And now they have a little bit of the leaked franchise changes, how there's going to be like additional scouting and stuff that could make it a little cooler. But at the end of the day, if the animation's the same, I think a lot of people are still going to have that fatigue and it's why you need to have a competitor out there. There's a little bit of that monopoly right now. And because of that, they don't have the need or hunger to get better. So for me, I don't really care. Last year was one of the first times I haven't got Madden in a long time, and it was liberating. I still play some of the old ones instead. I'll update the rosters on there instead of just spending all this money for the exact same game. Now, you have the right to be a little upset about this MVP edition, though, considering the fact the reigning MVP isn't even on there. And that was a little bizarre. Exactly. Well, he's also not even... He's also not even in the team where he won the MVP, so that's neither here nor there. True. That's also a great point. No, but it's not, it's not even the fact that Aaron's not on it. Obviously, if you're going to have an MVP this night, you would throw Aaron on it because he, you know, he's the most recent MVP winner or a, like a Lamar Jackson. Maybe have those two on it because those were the last two MVP. Win- yeah, Lamar Jackson won it the year before, Aaron, right? I think so. I, I've literally now you have me second-guessing <clears throat> my life. Yeah, because this is his fourth year. He won it in his second year. He didn't do shit last year in his third year. So, yeah, cool. Perfect. Glad you got that because I was going to have to look it up, and then it would have been awkward when we were both wrong somehow, and then we looked like morons. So it just worked out. But, no, yeah, I broke it down, and we got there. But even having either of your last two MVPs of Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, obviously you you will get sales alone just from having that picture promoting it on Xbox, getting a hard copy, an, an MVP, MVP edition, whatever the fuck they're going to put out there. I just think it's a little bit cheesy. If you, I think you should do old versus new goat. That would make more sense. Why would you put two goats on there then name it the MVP instead of just putting an MVP trophy as the teaser? I'm not really too sure. Let's get into some football stories. Well, real right. quick, I just wanted to throw out there to make your point even more because I just was looking up to see anything else that I might want to throw in here. Peyton Manning has five MVP awards. 
Aaron Rodgers has three MVP awards. Brady has three MVP awards. It just feels like a little odd that that's the route they chose with the naming. At the end of the day, it's, I guess it's cool. I just think they could have marketed it a little better, like you said. Do like an older or a goat edition and have an old goat, young goat thing. So, but yeah, I'm good to change uh, topics with you. Maybe your MVP Hall of Fame edition to have Peyton Manning, who has the most MVPs in NFL history, have him on the cover on top of him just being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Five years after, I felt like that would have been a little bit better. Here's okay, something that always confused me. You know how when college football, the video game started disappearing at the end, they had this like period where they were actually having multiple covers on the same game, and it was regional. Wouldn't it be cool if I know he's not there anymore, but like let's say like five years ago, that the Northeast has Tom Brady on it, the Midwest has Aaron Rodgers on it, the West Coast has Philip Rivers on it. And you could have done something like that and each year make it a regional thing or a divisional thing where like one year the AFC North cities, it's a, a Browns team or a Browns player, excuse me. Then one year it's a Steelers player. Then then it's a Ravens. Then it's a Bengals. I think that would be really cool too, but I don't know. They're, they're getting a little more creative the last few years. I'm sure we're far from the end of seeing creative and unique designs. I really like that idea a lot and from... From a money aspect, if you think in Madden's defense, or not even in defense, but like in their perspective, if you released regional covers like that, you're going to have more more of those sold because those are going to become collector's items as well. Like, yeah, I got the Madden 22 West Coast edition here on top of the, the 22 Midwest with Aaron Rodgers on it. I got a Justin Herbert or, you know, Derek Carr, Pat Mahomes one here all the same year. I got like six of them. Well, okay, well, I mean, that's how you make a lot of money. Like last year, I just mentioned I didn't buy last year's edition. If I know it was Lamar on there, and it's not like I have anything against Lamar, but like let's just say, for instance, they had regional ones, and they had, like you said, like Henry Ruggs or a Derek Carr on one, I would have to get it. It's just, oh, I can't not have that. You know what I mean? So I, yeah, yeah I think if it's Aaron was on one for like up in Green Bay, absolutely. I'd, be, I'd do the same way, or just like a super, I don't know if they do like an old school one with like a, redo like the Madden I want to say two either 2000 or 2002 with Ray Lewis on it so like an old school Ravens one with that wow Did I think I think that was Madden 05 but yeah we should be what well, the game was better back then I would rather play that NFL training camp from 03 with the Michael Vick version that was the best thing we're 20 years removed from that and somehow the game has regressed that's because there's not the competition anymore the moment 2K left the football in the NFL world, I lost interest. All right, Wally. We're getting too heated for a video game that we're not even going to play true. or purchase. Very so true. Let's get, let's get this moving on here to a couple of football stories before we really dig into the AFC and NFC North-South. The one that is most interesting to me, and I'm sure my AFC North counterparts, the Ravens apparently are not allowing media to film Lamar Jackson in his training camp. And this comes right after he, when Instagram was posted of a really wobbly pass, which I don't know why it's making you stop having media film. He's been throwing wobbly passes his whole career. Then of course the Ravens came out on their website saying, yeah, well, a team source said he's allowed to be filmed throwing to certain receivers on certain offensive plays, but there's just so much new stuff in here. They don't want any of the new wrinkles of the offense to be all over the media. Nonetheless, absolute dog shit because it came from a very biased source 
Lamar Jackson not throwing on film. What's your take on that, Wally? Hilarious. The fact that I was actually scrolling through Twitter, and I can't remember who the beat writer is for the Baltimore Ravens. He just sends out, Lamar just threw his prettiest pass of the offseason, and it was a, a dime down the sideline, like 40 or 50 yards, and someone's like immediate response, as anybody's would be, where's the clip? And right after the whole, you know, we're actually not allowed to film Lamar throwing passes anymore. That's just so bad. <laughs> and I understand that there probably is an element of you don't want other people to see your new schemes, your new plays, all that. But I don't know. It just is a little fishy to me. It feels like this is, like you said, we really don't want our guy getting dragged on social media all the way up until the regular season. And I, you don't hear about this with other teams. That's all I'm going to say. And who knows? It sounds at least like he's improving. We'll find out in August or September because it certainly doesn't sound like we're ever going to find out in the offseason. The square that is the beat reporter for ESPN for the Baltimore Ravens, Jameson Hensley. Guy's an absolute tool bag. What, you don't like Julian Hemsley or whatever his name is? What's going on? I literally just, I, his name is Jameson. I literally just fucking said it. How are you going to call him Julian? I don't know. It just seemed like a guy that, if you call him a tool bag, I just feel like Julian was more of a tool bag name to me than a Jameson. But hey, you know, live your life. No, I agree. But when I think of Julian, I think of Trailer Park Boys, and this guy wouldn't be caught dead with a rum and coke in his hands. So that's calling him, oh, Jameson Hensley. Yeah, this guy looks like a total square. 49.2 thousand followers. Well, that's a lot compared to us. And fuck him anyway. I guess he's never coming on this show. But yeah, very, very interesting that they are not allowing the filming of Lamar Jackson. I don't blame them. Doesn't matter because when the season comes, doesn't matter how good are those wrinkles in the offense are, ball don't lie. Film don't lie. So they're going to get out one way or another. We're going to find out how shitty Lamar Jackson finally is. And this is all coming on. The Eve, I wouldn't say the Eve, but the last few days, the, the rumor's been circulating that Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, are working on a monster contract. If he's not getting it done this year, how much do you think that's actually going to impede on that contract getting done, or at least the price of it? I doubt that it'll actually affect the likelihood of him getting a deal done. I think that they've already seen enough that he will get another contract with the team. It's just a matter of how frugal does this Ravens front office go about this? Where are they, you know, in baseball arbitration, it's one of the messiest things in sports. You hear all the time about how guys will go to arbitration and they will get like dragged through the mud by their own team to these people that make the decision over like $250,000. Like your starting guy, like shortstop, might be 25 and he's got like two or three years left on his deal and they're willing to literally make you feel like shit just so that they can save that little bit of money. Could we see the Ravens do, hey man, you know, we really like you. You're going to be in our plans if we can get to a, like a deal or a number that we can agree upon, but we don't feel comfortable making or resetting the quarterback market for you until we can see you not only be able to throw the football regularly and confidently, but we also need you to see you do this in the postseason because we've yet to see him really show up once we get into January. And until that happens, I could see the Ravens being a little, I guess, stingy is the best way I can put it. But I don't know. Maybe 
maybe because they have so much confidence in his feet, they or in his feet, they still decide to give him the bag. Well, having that mindset as well, if he's gonna if he's gonna be a runner, aka a running back, which is what we're gonna what we have all been calling him over the past couple of years, he has been in the league. That would make his shelf life a lot smaller. That would decrease it because he's basically a running back. And if he doesn't have that passing to fall back on, what makes you think that he's even going to live out the rest of that contract without severe injury or, you know, just, just hitting the wall that every single running back does in the league? One thing I'll say for him, though, because everybody does make that, hey, Lamar's a running back thing. He's also not running between the tackles. He's not getting hit by these like car crashes right inside the A gap or the B gap by a full speed 240 pound middle linebacker. He's got a kind of gift where he knows how to slide. He, he knows how to be tackled. And he's ironically so elusive that even when he gets tackled, most of the time it's like a low impact collision. So I think they will be worried Only about his longevity. You're right. Only takes one. And all the, ta- like let's say he tears his Achilles or he tears his ACL Who's to say he ever gets back to that? And again, it's, will the Ravens use that in their negotiations with him? I think they're going to do their best to keep good faith and goodwill, but they're definitely going to try to save a little bit of money. Don't like mix that up. They're definitely going to do their best to get their best deal possible. They are built on their defense and their offensive line. So there's a lot of pieces right there that need to be paid. You can ask Orlando Brown, who obviously is going to get paid, but he was mostly leaving because he wanted to play his true position. Nonetheless, who doesn't say that he leaves after, you know, after his contract's up because that money's going to be tied up in Lamar Jackson. And they got all those defensive studs, especially in that secondary. Sure, Marcus Peters is about to get ready to get paid. I know Marlon Humphrey got that fact contract extension. Got some youngsters that you just, you know, Patrick, you know, Patrick Queen's probably actually a couple years out, four years out, so he's good to go. But we'll see how the trajectory of the Baltimore Ravens actually will be. It doesn't really matter. I think we both agreed it's really the Browns' division to lose. And Lamar and the Ravens can ride out that wild card spot and lose in the first round every single year until he's out of the league because he is a running back. On to the next one here. Eli Manning having his number 10 jersey number retired, as well as joining the Ring of Honor for the New York Giants here. You said it best here in the rundown, you know, this whole announcement of Eli, you know, retiring here the past couple years. Now he's getting inducted into the Giants ring of honor and getting that jersey retired. Nostalgic. It's a perfect word for it. I hated those Giants teams because they beat the Packers both times on the way there in Green Bay both those times. But you cannot take away or forget who those teams were that they beat in the Super Bowl to become winners. One of them was the undefeated Patriots. The other was just a shithead Patriots that everyone hated at that time. So nostalgic's a great word for that. What are your nice, kind parting words for Eli Manning? Well, first I have to say, somewhere right now, Tom Brady is throwing darts at his Eli Manning dartboard. And he's hitting every single one in the forehead. I mean, think about how crazy it is to say and believe, but without Eli Manning, we might be talking about Tom Brady having nine Super Bowls right now. Seven seems incredible. Imagine him getting in this year with a chance to go for one for the thumb on his second hand. Like that's just insane. And it just goes to show how, I guess, stunning those wins and those teams were. I remember hating that Giants team that beat the Patriots, the 18 and one Patriots now, because like you said, 
They beat that Packers team in like minus 30 degrees. Brett Favre having a terrible ill-advised throw in overtime. Oh, does that does that ever sound familiar? Last throws a Packer interception. Last throws a Viking interception. Oh, I mean that Bounty Gate throw. I think that's the worst play of his entire career. I mean, you're in field goal range already, but we're that's a conversation for an entirely another day. Yeah, we don't have that much time here tonight, bud. No, no kidding. Exactly. But yeah, what I was gonna say though is that when they beat that Packers team, I was so repulsed because I'm like, we don't even get to see a competitive Super Bowl. The Patriots are gonna win this game by three scores. And they're 19 and 0. They're gonna be the greatest team ever. Like, make them beat a real team in a Super Bowl. They shoved it up my hoop two weeks later. They go in there. The Plaxico Burris play right after the David Tyree helmet catch, which is still, I mean, it's the best play in Eli Manning's career. I mean, right next to that, you would probably have the Mario Manningham pass up the sideline in the other Super Bowl. He beat Tom Brady and the Patriots. But it was just an awesome, uh, I guess, experience. I don't think that, I don't necessarily believe that he's a Hall of Famer, but I think this is perfect for him, where it's kind of like the Giants Hall of Fame. He's going to always get the love and respect he deserves in New York. But I don't know if I'm quite ready to put him in the Hall of Fame. Ironically, and I'll throw it back to you here in one second, but I have a group of guys in New... I, you hear me talk about him quite frequently in Northeast Ohio, former high school classmates of mine. And we were talking the other day, and we I can't even remember the context, but we brought up the man or Peyton Manning. And we were all at once were like, Oh yeah, that's right. Eli Manning's a thing too. And the fact that you can't necessarily instinctually remember him off of like immediately. Oh yeah, the Archie Manning, Peyton Manning. Oh yeah, Eli too. He won two Super Bowls, I guess. That kind of was like all I need to know. I'm like, oh god, maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. Like the guy was awesome, but it just, ah, I don't know. That again, that's something we could talk about for 30 minutes any other day. Well, we'd have to deep dive on that. We didn't even prepare. This is all kind of just well. Not really off the cusp, but yeah, we didn't really have to deep dive. But with that, with those two Giants teams came two very good defenses, two monster running games, as well as Eli Manning. So, and at the end of the day, Eli Manning's career record is 500, maybe a little bit north or south around there. But I think it was literally 500, and like in his last season, he's got to be one win or one loss or right around there on either side of it. It's got to be close. It's too close to be able to throw him in for that Hall of Fame contention. But with the two Super Bowls against those two teams he beat, sometimes he'll play a little bit of favoritism in that Hall of Fame voting. And I could see him going in, but we'll see. It's all about the youngest Manning that's coming up right now. Kid's going to be an absolute stud. Arch, right? Or is it Archie as well? I know it's one of the two. I was going to say Arch, but I I felt like that was like, yeah, I feel like that's way off so i'm not gonna call it that but yeah, and that's cooper's kid works. too right like cooper really blew it trying to play wide receiver growing up that's all i gotta say whatever it's all gonna play out in his favor here i think i think cooper will, will be just fine he's got a very lucrative spot as an espn reporter one time every three years well and he does that weird thing it's like uh coffee with coop or something like that where he literally has this it's almost, I think it might be a podcast, actually, but he has just guests on, and they talk over, like, brunch. And I'm like, God, you have Peyton Manning out that here. That is the whitest thing I've ever fucking heard. Like, what a great life. I mean, think about it. Like, Peyton Manning's out here at the College World Series, like, probably hammered, just blitzed. Then you have Eli out here throwing shade at Tom Brady on Twitter every other day, and Cooper's like, 
hey, I would love to discuss your 401k plan. Like, I, I don't know. It's just the guy was that close to making it. If he stayed healthy, it sounds like he would have been in the NFL, but unfortunately nah, for him, he wasn't able to. Fuck him. Fuck him. He can go eat his avocado toast, talk about politics, 401ks, stonks, whatever you guys want to talk about. Rest of the world, you can have Cooper. We'll keep Arch and Archie. You guys can have coffee with Coop, whatever that bullshit is. And for the record, though, it probably isn't called that, so I'm just making it worse. No, make it worse. Fuck him. Team Arch. Team Arch all day. As well as this week, we'll move on here to the next story. Carl Nassib of the Las Vegas Raiders came out as gay here this past week that he put in an Instagram post, which comes right here smack dab in the middle of Pride Month. Shortly after coming out, Publicly, he also donates to the Trevor Project, which is a charity that helps with the prevention of suicide in the LGBTQ community. Obviously, this is your Raider. This is close to home, which is awesome, but this is going to be the the start of something here. There's been a ton of support from current and ex-NFL players, you know, for Carl Nassib. So, want to always pose you the question, this is this is your Vegas Raider player coming out so how awesome a is this to see this and b you have it right there in your home every sunday as well which is going to be kind of cool to see the outpouring support finally going to have the death star with fans and kind of see how that's going to react here in week one honestly i'm i was really fired up about it i was kind of caught off guard i probably shouldn't have been because you did mention this is in pride month so you had to i guess expect at some point there would be somebody that would take the step to come out publicly because let's not like I think a lot of people out there are probably not understanding. There's not just one gay player in the NFL. There's one openly gay player in the NFL right now. And one of the things I love to hear and I love to say is that courage breeds courage. When you have someone who's willing to come out like this and put themselves in a limelight and open themselves up to that scrutiny, because you know how many gross and disgusting people out there are like social media where he makes this announcement on Instagram you go through the comments, and yeah, there's a ton of people out there that are appreciative and understand how significant and how great this is for everybody in that LGBTQ community. But then you also had the gross and disgusting people that are making jokes the whole time that are diminishing what this is and how important it is for people in that community, for the young men and women out there that are growing up in basically secret, not able to accept who they actually are. To have someone on with this platform come forward and say this, I think it's awesome. I'm really proud of him. I'm really happy that he was able to do it. And so far, it's like you said, the outpouring of support, not only from fans, but from players, from coaches alike, I think it's great. I don't think 10 years ago we were ready. I mean, even when Michael Sam came out pre-draft, it wasn't exactly like this reaction. We're seeing a constant evolution in the way people think. And that's great, man. I, I really am fired up for him. And I saw that in the last 24 hours, he has the highest jersey sales in all of football right now. So it just shows how... It's like the last like two or three days. It's even It might be. That. Yeah, you're right. It probably is now. But it's just one of those things where that shows how impactful and how important this is to many people who probably aren't even, a lot of times, football fans that are getting this jersey. And I, I, I really am excited. He was... In a tricky spot going into this where the Raiders were kind of not sure if they were going to keep him. Because he has a nice deal for him. It's like three years, $25 million, I want to say. 
and they weren't sure because the production wasn't necessarily there if they'd bring him back. But I think with the way this is, I, I'm not sure if you remember, but the Bengals defensive tackle probably five years ago, he had a young child who was going through either terminal cancer or a really severe, like threatening cancer. And he stayed I on the say it's, Jeremy Stills. It's Stills. Stills. It's something Stills. You're right. Uh, but they kept him on the roster all year and they gave like a percentage of his proceeds of the jerseys to like that cancer research. I could see teams or the NFL doing that too, where let's say even 10% of Carl Nassif jersey sales go to the Trevor Project. And he put 100000 of his own dollars out there into this project and the NFL matched it. That's, I know it's not a ton, but, and I'm talking from the NFL, what he did with his money, it was not that, like, what he did was more than enough. But it still, it brought that attention, it brought that awareness to it. And it's something that I think a lot of people should be excited about because I think that this could be the start of a really special thing where we might start seeing people not only in football but across sports in general be more open and accepting and also be more confident to step forward and be your true self. So I know I rambled a little bit, but I really was fired up about this. This was a really cool story. I know quite a few people in the community and I, I think it made them all happy and it, it like to have that outlet and place to to see themselves on a, a stage like the NFL. I think it's really cool. And I'm just, again, really happy. And I, I really hope that he continues to get that outpouring of support and able to close off his blinders to those disgusting people. We all know we're out there. He had haters prior to this, right? And, you know, now he's just going to get a whole new form of haters. But at the same time, he's going to get a whole new form of support. You're going to have people that are most likely going to tune in because he is playing. He's going to, They're going to tune into those Monday night games, those Thursday night games. Just, just be like, okay, yep, there he is. That's Carl Nassib, and I, can, and I can fuck with that dude. You know, I quote from John Gruden, I learned a long time ago, what makes a man different is what makes him great. Raiders, uh, your boy, or was it Cleland? Am I saying that correctly? Cleland, Cleland. Yeah, you're right there. Yeah. Cleveland Farrell, I'm what, ex-Clemson guy, you know, that's my brother, we got his back 100%, this year will be special, you know, you got people like this backing him up, but what I thought the coolest tweet, or anything I saw on social media, was actually from Warren Moon, this is what he had to say, really proud of Carl Nassim, the first active football player to ever do so, I played with several guys who never were comfortable enough to go public, they were great teammates, and obviously very talented, and this is going to open up all, all the eyes for all those ignorant arrogant people that just socialize you know gay people anyone in the lgbtq community into just one specific stereotype of what that person looks like now you got carl nassib you got a big girthy angry person out there playing playing a very violent sport and yeah and like you said that he is not the only gay person in nfl he's just the only openly gay person i think i'm hopeful and i think that this is going to cause a domino effect and I'm wondering who that first real star is to become the face. Right now, Carl Nassib is that star. But what if it was a Lamar Jackson, a Pat Mahomes, something like that? That would just completely polarize the sport. And that's eventually going to come to that. And it's going to be very exciting. And I agree. I think that they should donate a percentage of the jersey sales. Or if the Vegas Raiders want to kind of hop in on it as well to the Trevor Project. And really, NFL really starting to get their footprint into this. Well, and this is kind of a, I guess, selfish thing too, where, I mean, I was really excited. And it's not like the Raiders 
went out and got him because they believed this. But I am really excited and happy to say that now you get to add this to the the awesome pedigree that is the progressive or progressive nature of the Raiders, where you had the first black head coach, you had the first Latino head coach, you had the first woman in a front office role, you had the now first openly gay football player. Three of those were conscious decisions. One of them happened when he was on the team already, but I'm really hopeful because of that track record and because of the culture that has been established for as long as Al Davis was a part of that Raiders team, now his son, Mark Davis. I really do think that this is a very good spot for him to be, and I'm really confident in the Raiders' ability to make him comfortable and at least not face any of that unfortunate negative like scrutiny, I guess, from those types of people out there, it'll be outside of the organization. It won't happen in-house. And that's at least how I'm hopeful right now. We'll we'll see how it goes, but very encouraging. I think it's a lot different, like I said, even than it was five years ago. With When Michael Sam came out, I felt like it was a little bit, it wasn't really taken as seriously. And this felt like it finally kind of has a little mojo. So for me, that's that's my two cents on the whole thing. Again, very happy for Carl Nassib and, uh, definitely going to be a fan of his for a long time now. Our last story before we get, before we jump into the dirty south here, Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark arrested with an Uzi in his Lamborghini SUV. So Clark's attorney claims it was the bodyguard's machine gun, which is funny because the bodyguard wasn't in there. Well, was he? Even if he was, it was not really, at least in the story I saw, it wasn't exactly... Uh, he had three other people in the car with him. I'm not sure if any of them were the bodyguard. I guess you would imagine one of them had to be, right? I mean, if you have an Uzi, why do you need a bodyguard? I think you. I think that pretty much settles the whole bodyguard gun fiasco. Yeah, that that was a bizarre story to come out for sure, though. I mean, we'll see how the Chiefs handle this. The Seahawks look really brilliant getting rid of him pretty early. What traded him two off seasons ago? I'm kind of hoping that this will become the downfall of the Chiefs, but I don't even know what to think of this story at all. This is something I think we're just grasping for air at this point. Yeah. Someone so, get shot. At least he didn't shoot himself like Plax. I honestly forgot to even mention Plax code too when we were talking about the Giants earlier. Yeah, I wonder how he's doing these days. But I will say this for Frank, or Frank Clark. I think that he could have stolen a pop from a BK and I'd want him kicked out of the league because he was with the Chiefs. So you best believe I'm like, we got to come. We got to throw the book at this guy. We have to make sure that he gets the full on like, let's give him a full 16-game suspension. Now, that won't happen because, I mean, you have things like the Ray Rice situation that takes public outcry and outlash over it. So, and then Greg Hardy was the same thing. So, You're thinking of backlash. Backlash. Out, yeah, good call, Steven. This, that stays in, too, because I'm an idiot and I have to keep it in there. It, it well, hold myself now accountable. we're both going to sound like idiots, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to hold myself accountable and make myself look dumb. But yeah, so a lot of I mean, backlash. I think we haven't done the first 35 episodes, right? Very good point. Very good point. Yeah, but I mean, I think that I, I really don't know how they're going to handle this. I know he got out on like $35,000 bond. I'm sure that he'll probably face a, a heavy fine for this. I don't know if he'll face jail time. But the one thing that came out of my mind when they brought up, hey, like you said, his attorney came out and said this was the bodyguard's gun. It was not Frank Clark's big time Chris Carter fall guy energy. Am I am I wrong? Where Frank Clark's like, hey buddy, I'm gonna need you to do a couple years for me. But guess what? When you come out, I'm gonna have an envelope for you, and you're gonna be a part of my buddies forever. You're gonna get basically this. You pay your debt for two years. What I did, 
and you're now like, officially no, you pay, in. You pay my debt for two years. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I guess we'll see how it how it comes to be, how much legal, I guess, is the first thing we have to worry about, legal problems. But then naturally after that, the NFL will do their own investigation. I'm sure he will probably face a suspension of some sort. Some sort. If we have, if we have more stories popping up about this Frank Lark and gun issue and not anything more about Deshaun Watson, I'm going to start having some eyebrows raised. I know we're going to talk about it because we're doing the AFC and NFC South here. So I probably, I'm not going to say too much on the Deshaun Watson stuff, but you have to imagine with how many people we've talked a few times a couple months ago about this. Why do all these women, why would they lie about this? Especially when they're not looking for that financial compensation, or at least most of them, I believe aren't that just, you, you talk about raised eyebrows. There's red flags all over the freaking city of Houston right now. Oh, absolutely. But the fact that there hasn't been any official charges pressed or he hasn't been indicted on anything, that's what's kind of suspicious. So it's a double-edged sword right now with both both our points. But I think we'll cover Houston. That city of Houston has a lot more problems to focus on in that locker room than just Deshaun Watson because he's either not guilty somehow with all this or – and then he's not going to play with the Texans, or he is guilty, and then he's just never going to play football again. That will bring us here to the end of the story, so let's get into a little bit too early division breakdowns here. We're going to start in the AFC South with the Jacksonville Jaguars, where they're over-under set at 6.5. Obviously, some key additions, the number one overall pick with Trevor Lawrence, Rayshon Jenkins, Shaquille Griffin, Marvin Jones, and how dare... Can you forget about the glorious Tim Tebow making his entrance back in the NFL? Not really any key losses. Keelan Cole floating around in the league. Urban Meyer, first-time head coach. Rookie head coach. Rookie quarterback combo that we have here in Jacksonville. I don't really think there's really too much to look into Jacksonville. I personally don't think we're going to spend too much time. They are not going to finish last in, in what I have right now in their division. I only have the Jaguars winning three games. I mean, they open against the Texans. I think that's an absolute dub. Then you got the Broncos, Cardinals, Bengals, Titans, Miami. Broncos don't really want to think too much about Bengals up and coming team. But then you got the Cardinals, Titans, and Miami, who are obvious playoff teams. You got the bye week, and then you got Seattle and Buffalo and Indy right after that. So they have a very, very tough stretch. And not that's also not including their eleven, their week 11 matchup against the San Francisco 49ers. This is an up-and-coming team. I think that six and a half is way, way too high for them right now. I don't know where they're getting that from. But at the same time, I'm the one who has the podcast, not setting lines for Vegas, which is the ultimate job. You can take it away. It's the ultimate job when you're hitting, right? Because all of a sudden, when you see those rare stories like two, three times a year where Vegas gets absolutely just taken on a game where like 80% of the money rolled in on like an underdog and they went out right and Vegas is like, Oh, well, well shit. That's like $500 million gone today. Well, that's a bummer. They do win. No, they're like 362 days though. You, you, like I said, you have those three that they take the L on, but whatever. Anyways, I'm with you. I'm the under minus 120 today. I think that the under for me, it's less of a, I don't think Trevor Lawrence has that ability to get them there right away. It's the Urban Meyer hire that makes me a little weird, a little wary about this. Nice rhyme, Dr. Seuss. You like that? I felt pretty good about it. As soon as it came out, it was one of those like, oh my God, I'm awesome. But no, I mean, when they did bring him in, it just kind of felt unnatural to me. You know how 
We've seen in the past guys like Nick Saban, guys like Lou Holtz. I'm sure there's about a dozen other ones, high-profile college coaches that go to the NFL level. How rare is it that you see these guys end up actually being somewhat decent of a head coach? It's tough. You usually don't see that that offense kind of translate. I know the game's changing a lot, and because of that, you might be able to see a little bit more success. But even so, this roster was a dumpster fire last year. They did have four picks in the top 45 this year in the draft. Two first, two early second round picks. So you've got to imagine that that's going to help that offense. I think three of the four. Yeah, three of the four. You have Lawrence, ETN, and Walker Little, the offensive tackle from Stanford. They might slide him inside. But that should immediately make that offense a little bit better than it was. Now, I do think they will probably end up with about five wins. So that minus 120. You're going to pick up on the AFC South. I'm kind of going rock chalk Jayhawks. I'm going straight. Whatever they tell me is where I'm going. It's not going to be like that for the NFC South. So you're going to want to keep listening for that. But yeah, minus 120 Jaguars without a doubt. Now, if you're good with it, Steven, I'm just going to keep us rolling. We'll go back and forth here for this. That's perfect. He gave me the thumbs up. You guys can't see it. But he gave me a thumbs up. So we're going with the Houston now. We were just talking about Deshaun Watson and that absolute dumpster fire. Over under is both minus 110 for both directions. Four. Just a round number of four. I might be crazy, but this might, to me, the four, it's kind of a hedge. They don't know what they're doing with Deshaun Watson yet, Vegas, in that regard. Where I think without Vegas, it's an obvious under four. With Watson, you probably would say they'll probably win five or six games purely on how talented alone he is. Their key additions this year, they brought in Shaq Lawson, Kristen Kirksey. I'm sure a lot of you Browns fans and Packer fans out there remember him fondly. Tyrod Taylor, who could prove important depending on what Deshaun Watson's case turns out to be, whether he's eligible to even play. They brought in a trio of backs, which was a little confusing, including a couple guys that have been around forever in Mark Ingram and Rex Burkhead. You'd imagine Philip Lindsay is going to be the guy there that takes a lot of those reps. And then Cameron Johnston. The fact that you have a punter on this list kind of just shows you the kind of situation we're talking about right now in Houston. It's not it's not one for the faint of heart. It's going to be really tough for people to watch. Now, their key losses, they might not have a massive amount of numbers here, Steven. But here you go. J.J. Watt, Nick Martin, Will Fuller. Those guys had immediate value and immediate... It's a fall-off. It's a hard fall-off. And I put on here as a joke, but the other key loss is common sense because right now you have a guy that's basically, well, what's the super church guy? It's like Osborne or something. He's basically running the team. Joe Osman? Uh, it Osmond? don't matter. You know who I'm talking about, and I'm sure they do too. The dude on, like, hey, let me oh, watch. Oh, Joel, uh, Joel, or no. Austin. Osteen? Osteen. Olstein? Joel Olstein. Olstein, there that's it is. That's who it is. Fuck him. Yeah, no, we're we're on the same page there. I can't stand the guy, and, and they have oh, you a hate guy. God, cool, Wally. This guy is that they have in there. Oh my gosh, I'm spacing on his name right now. He's basically the same thing. It's it's not to that level, but he's not in a position to be making football decisions. It's kind of a mess. But uh, they did their first draft pick, which is always good when they're trying to rebuild. Their first draft pick was in the third round. Davis Mills. They draft another quarterback. And that's how much of a disaster the situation is down there right now. You have Deshaun Watson seemingly, and if I had to bet my life on it, I'd say he's done. And if that's the case, you have to replace him too? Just a, 
I, I mean, the over-under of four, I, I told you just there, I'm operating under the assumption that Watson does not suit up this year. And if that's the case, four is a pipe dream. This is going to be the team that's picking first next year in the entire league in the draft. Not a chance to get the four wins. I want to hear it from you now. Do you Are you also kind of taking that under the under of four, or are you, you actually a little higher on this team than I am? I'm right there with you, Walter. Four, I feel like that. I feel like this is easy money. The under minus 110, I mean, the over and the under are both set at minus 110. But I only have the Houston Texans at two wins. The trio of backs does not make sense when you have David Johnson. I get his injury history. You're a little bit skeptical. Doesn't mean you, you bring in three more backs. One Mark Ingram getting old and coming off an injury plagued year. Philip Lindsay can't get injured. I feel like he's had ankle problems here the past season and a half. Then you got Rex Burkhead, who's a little bit aging. Couldn't agree more with how you're going to have a punter on this list. Common sense. You need to have it for it to be a key loss. I think that's the only problem we have in this uh, in this rundown. But there's no Deshaun Watson here in my mind for the Houston Texans. I have them finishing 2-15. and 15. I have them squeaking out a late win. Who do I have? I have them beating the New York Jets, which I feel like I will definitely flop that by the time that we get to the real on-time, not-early predictions. This team hasn't done anything enough. You have Tyron Taylor, who who knows? He could have his other lung punctured when he's getting a medical checkup with that staff. We don't know. That seems something right up the Houston Texans' alley with the way things have been going for them. There's just nothing for me to grip here that's going to give them a real opportunity to be a successful team. I want to say David Coley is the as the head coach name. I don't even want to research that because I'm going to forget the guy's name because I've never seen the dude before in my life. I've never heard of him. The fact that they're picking him, this team is an absolute shit show. It's a dumpster fire. They are now officially going to be the Cleveland Browns again of the NFL. And I'm not going to be surprised if they're going to be relocating here the next five, ten years, especially if Deshaun... You're calling Deshaun relocation now, huh? I'm calling relocation now. Absolutely. Jesus. They are fucking horrible. You know who needs a good team? Wyoming. They're going to pick up Josh Allen in the expansion draft. Why? I know you're kidding, but sunset. damn. It's, it just feels right, though. It's just coming. It's just so natural coming right off the top. How could you not agree with me? See, here's my thing. I almost wish that they just did a rebrand instead of that. Go back to the Oilers. Those uniforms were so cool. Well, the uniforms are basically what the Titans have right now. Titans so they can't can't, they, they can move. I don't, the Nashville don't need a team. Damn, I don't care. I didn't even think of that. Let them I didn't move. Think of that. Bring them back to Houston. Well, we'll move up as well. We'll go to the Indianapolis Colts here. They're over-under set at 9.5, under plus 125, and the the over is set at minus 150. So it looks like everyone's going to be playing the over on this one. Me, personally, I have the Colts at 11-6. They upgraded at quarterback with Carson Wentz. They have a great offensive line added with Eric Fisher. And then you have Eddie Pinero. Was that the fucking kicker? Is that who we're talking about? That's who we're adding because they lost a legendary kicker in Adam Vinatieri. And we're talking about Eddie Pinero. There just isn't a lot that I guess Indianapolis has done, whether losing or bringing people in. You'll see that as well with Tampa Bay when we get to them. They re-signed T.Y. Hilton to a very lucrative contract on both sides of the ball, I guess, or both sides of the organization as well as the player. Fun fact, I saw Eddie Pinheiro hit a game-winning field goal at my buddy's bachelor party at Mile High Stadium when the Bears were playing the Denver Broncos. But I have very high praise for the Colts. They were a good team last year. It's a team that, it's like those, it's like those Giants teams we were just talking about. Good defense, 
Great O-line. They have that two-headed running monster in Marlon Mack, who's coming off a Achilles injury, as well as Jonathan Taylor, who had a very solid rookie year. Then you pair that up with a quarterback who isn't aging like Phillip Rivers is and doesn't throw the football like a complete inept child. So you got Carson Wentz out there who's on a prove-it year. He has been getting shat on so much here the past couple years. I think the Indianapolis Colts are going to be a really good team. Biggest question mark is obviously at the receiver position. But when you have the when you have the running game like that with that offensive line, a defense that will continually get you the ball and force those turnovers, potentially score, this team is going to be very dangerous, and it's between them and the Titans who we're getting to next. I think that I, ironically, even though this has the best odds, or I guess the worst odds, I should say, for the favorite in here, it's the one I'm probably least confident in. Now, I do think they will hit that over. I think they're going to be right around there at 10-7, and 7, potentially 11-6. and 6. But it comes down to Carson Wentz. He's going to take this team as far as that he will allow them to go. You talked about how great that line is. You even get a little deeper with Eric Fisher. you got to imagine that he'll be ready come week one. And if he is, that line's great. That you, you bring back Hilton, like you said, that's big. It sounds like they were in the mix for Julio, and that's a bummer for them that not only do they not get him, but their division rival, the Tennessee Titans, do. I like the Colts a lot. I, I think that they are a very solid squad. It's just a matter of Carson Wentz. And I think he looks more like early Carson Wentz this year. He's going to be in a dream situation. He's going to be reunited with Frank Reich. That's going to prove invaluable here. I think that it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get back to form. He's got all of a sudden now a little bit of confidence issues. I do think they get to 10-7. and seven. I'm not going to say they're winning the division. I'll save that for you as we'll switch over now to Tennessee. Believe this or not, Tennessee is actually coming into this year with an over-under of 9. Now, the over is plus 100, and the under is minus 120. So I lied to you guys when I said that I was taking all chalk in this one. I actually went with the over here. I went the over of plus 100 of 9. I think that, believe this or not, I know this is, at uh, to me, a low number. I think the Titans win 11 or 12 games this year. You bring in Julio Jones. I'm not really as high on Bud Dupree as a lot of people are. I think that TJ Watt really made him a lot of money this last couple of years. And they did bring in Janoris Jenkins as well. Those are three people that should make immediate impacts. Even if Bud Dupree's not who I think his stats say he is right now, he should still have a decent year. And if he does, he physically cannot be more of a disappointment than what Jadavian Clowney was for them this past year. He is one of those key losses. They also lose Corey Davis, which that doesn't hurt nearly as bad when you bring in one of the best wide receivers in the history of the league into Julio Jones. But still, it's it's a guy you would have liked to see stick around. You also lose Malcolm Butler, Daquan Jones, Adoree Jackson, who signed a mega ticket, and then Janu Smith going up to New England. And those are big losses, but with what you can be bringing in with those three guys I mentioned before, I do think that they hit the over, and I do think they win the division. I think this is a team that's going to go beyond what their perceived ceiling is, and I think that if Ryan Tannehill can even just be a step above a game manager, the way this team is built, there's not a lot of teams come January that I think are going to want to play Tennessee. When you can control the line of scrimmage, especially if Bud Dupree does it, you can control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and then you have a guy like Derrick Henry, who just gets better and better as the season goes on, as people start getting banged up, the last thing you want to do is tackle that Mack truck. 
that is coming at you at ridiculous speeds for how big he is. So I, I like this team a lot. I, I'm, they're my division winner. And I'm going to actually go as far to say is I think they're a 12-5 and five team. Key word here, injuries. Best ability is availability. With this team, it's going to be hit or miss. In a perfect world, on paper, everyone's playing all 16, 17 games. Hopefully just 16, so you have, you know, you have that week one bye. Let everyone rest up a little bit. But Julio Jones missed the most games he missed in his career last year. Bud Dupree coming off an ACL injury. You have Taylor Lewan also coming off an ACL injury, their offensive lineman. You got Janoris Jenkins here. Not really any injury history, but since he left at the time, St. Louis, he has been absolute dog shit. He has been overpaid. This is going to be his third team in two years or third team in three years. He's getting towards that tail end of that. You know, those key losses, Corey Davis and Johnny Smith will Julio Jones, like I said, if fully healthy, he's going to help the Titans forget all about them. Jadavion Clowney, that's an absolute joke. But Janoris Jenkins, that drop down from Dory Jackson and Malcolm Butler both being gone. At the same time, Malcolm Butler is that aging guy that wasn't producing. So the next logical thing is to bring in an aging guy who isn't producing in Janoris Jenkins, a.k.a. the Jackrabbit. But he's getting beat left and right. Anyone can look good in that secondary in New Orleans with all those young studs around you when you're protecting the third and fourth option. So we're flip-flopped here. I have the Tennessee Titans actually at 10-7 and seven in second place in that division to the Indianapolis Colts, who are going to go 11-6. and six. So you still have the over. You just mean your flip-flop is in you have the Colts winning instead of the Titans. Yeah, but I also... Yeah, can, God, can you let me finish? But I also have the Titans covering the nine, which is so much fun. Yeah, the Titans and the Colts literally split up by half a game. I feel like we're both on the same page, all three of us, with Vegas as the threesome all on the same page of how we feel like this division is going to pan out. And I strictly have the Colts winning that division over Tennessee because of defense. Tennessee dropped off defensively here from the two years ago when they made the AFC championship run, eventually losing to your Kansas City Chiefs, Wally. Go to hell. So they're deep. I appreciate you. I'll be there with a cold, cold, icy light. How's that sound? Sounds great. Thank you for respecting the icy light there. I, I never get anybody who says they'll ever drink one. Claim it's three. Oh, of course. I I never said I'll drink it. I'll just have a cold one for you. Like waiting, waiting for you. Thank you. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's just river water. Well, you guys could go to hell too. Because guess what? I like icy light. Yeah, no wonder you haven't been able to keep anything down or feel good the last couple weeks because you keep just drinking icy light, that that river water. I don't know what games are doing up there, but it's not the right. It's not the right thing. All right, Kawhi officially out for game three, which everyone will know by this time. But. We're getting off track, which is no surprise. Defense is really what's going to break these teams apart. Like I was going to continually say, Tennessee took a drop-off last year compared to the year before, and they don't really think they've made that many key contributions or additions to that defense to make them very scary. Like I previously stated, Julio Jones coming off an injury-ridden season where he missed six, seven games. Not that much, but that's the most in his career. Then we have a huge question of how the ball is going to be moved around. Is Derrick Henry clearly isn't going to get all those touches. Ryan Tannehill is going to have to play quarterback. To your point, agreed, he only has to be that, that game manager, almost like a Baker Mayfield-esque type role that he's in. But we'll see how Brable has those boys play. It's going to be a very close race up until that week 17. I think this division title, this is when we're going to look back in 
or look back to like, wow, I'm really happy that they had they had that 17th game in here because it meant everything in the world. And of course, who meets up the last week? Well, the the, the Colts and Jags actually do. That's kind of whack. And this division can be wrapped up early because the Colts and Titans play each other twice by week eight. So that division is going to get very testy, and they may be they may be leaning on a couple shitty teams like. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders or the Jacksonville Jaguars to beat those Colts to keep the Titans division title hopes alive. That's crazy that they both have already finished up by week eight, especially. And I, is that like a natural week eight? Or are you saying the eighth game of the year? Cause like there's 18 weeks now, you know what I mean? What I have here, that's a natural week. Cause the Colts have their bye week in week 14. So that's week eight by week eight. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, then that's a big deal. Week eight is the second game. It's, what, twice in five weeks, so week three in Tennessee, week eight in Indy. Yeah, that's a that's a little that's a little bit of a wrench because usually you like you said, you kinda have that matchup in December that usually has a lot of weight because it's going to typically have that tiebreaker effect if teams are competing with one another. Now all of a sudden you know who has the tiebreaker at the end of October. So that's going to be a really big series there between those two. I still think that I'm going to lean on the Titans, but ultimately I assume since you had them at 10 wins, do you have the Titans as a wildcard team or do you have them on the narrow outside looking in? They will be a wildcard team. They will absolutely be a wildcard team. I don't have them squeaking out last second. You know, this will be a lot easier to assess during that time. Hindsight's 2020. Oh, that makes no sense. It will be a lot easier to assess when that time is coming. But right now, I have them, I believe, as the, I want to say the five, right behind all the division winners. The one thing I do want to say before we go over to the NFC South, before we wrap it up and send everybody on their merry little way for a couple weeks, I think that Baker Mayfield is getting that game manager kind of stigma and tag on him. And I actually don't think he's a game manager. I think he has that capability of being more than that. And I think that you're going to see that this year, especially with Odell coming back. I think that he's going to be more well adept and prepared to treat the offense as he did towards the end of last year, where he's not so fixated on getting the ball to Odell that he's going to weaken the offense and weaken the chances, so to speak. So I I do think that this year he takes a massive step. And I don't know, maybe this is the year that he finally gets a little well-deserved respect from the national media because right now he doesn't have it. It's kind of a joke to me, but whatever. I will switch gears for us now since I did steal the thunder there and and, and say something after you finished up. So I'll, I'll transfer over to NFC South for us. We'll start with the team that came in last place. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. That's a the brilliance of Wally here. Go from worst to first the previous year. That's why you're going to ironically see Tampa Bay get brought up third instead of last because they didn't win the division last year. Atlanta, though, let's start with them. Terrible year last year. You mentioned Julio Jones missed a ton of time, which, by the way, I think a lot of that, too, it's like the A.J. Green effect in Cincinnati. How do you have the motivation to go play for a team like that when you know you're going nowhere? You don't want to put those hits on your body. So I I don't think that I'd be worried about him in Tennessee now. Now, they're over-under for this year. It's minus 110 for the over, plus 110 for the under. It's set at 7.5. I'd mentioned before, I was really chalking the first one, three of the first four, or three of the four teams in the AFC South. I, I went with the chalk pick in the over-under. I'm going to go pretty much the exact opposite in the NFC South. I have the under here at plus 110. 
I don't believe in this team. I don't believe in the roster they have put together here. Yeah, you get to extend Calvin Ridley for a pretty big deal. You draft Kyle Pitts. Matt Ryan's still there. You'd imagine the offense could have glimpses of being really, really fun. The problem is, you lose to Julio Jones, like I said. You lose Alex Mack. You lose Keanu Neal. Your only real big addition outside of the draft this year, you bring in Cordero Patterson, who could have a really big effect on the return game. He is realistically one of the best returners in the history of the NFL. And I I think that it's finally getting to the point where people have actually noticed that and are willing to say that out loud and not feel like they're being a little over the top and in the moment. But that's a good acquisition. I just don't know if it's enough to get them to that seven and a half game threshold. So I am going with the under. I know I've had a target on my back since last year. I was so high in this Atlanta Falcons team. What seems like it's going to be a very different team going into this year. You covered most most of the spots. Losing Julio Jones, Alex Mack, drafting Kyle Pitts. I mean, that's a plug-and-play player. Right now, that would look a lot more dangerous if Julio Jones was in the mix. We all know why he's not in the mix. But the 7.5, very, very interesting to me. Now, Richie Grant, UCF safety that they drafted, what, 40th overall, which seems like an absolute steal. He was the best safety coming out of the draft. Then you got Jalen Mayfield, that Michigan offensive lineman, who most likely is going to slide into that guard position. So they got a couple plug-and-play players in their top three picks. Obviously, like you said, the extension of Calvin Ridley is going going to be huge. Now he is the true number one, paired with Kyle Pitts. We'll see how that offense is going to look. At the end of the day, you still cannot trust that defense. But with that being said, Matt Ryan leading this team, I believe they can go slightly below 500 and beating that seven and a half over. That's right. Target right back on me, Wally. You can't I'm help taking it. the Falcons. You can't help yourself with the Falcons. Eight and nine. I don't know why I love them. They have a pretty tricky schedule. I have them be- beating Philly, losing to the Bucks, Giants, Washington football team, beating the Jets, losing to the Dolphins, beating the Cowboys. That's right, beating the Cowboys and the New England Patriots. Oh, shit, I think I must have been high at work when I was doing this or something. You know what? Now, I'm taking the under. I didn't realize I had them beating the Patriots. Patriots are going to blow them out. I officially have them on the under. You guys just witnessed it. Because I had to gloss over, which I should have done prior to this, and I did not because I'm an absolute savage. So I'm back on it. Target stripped off my back. Monkey off my back that I call Wally. I'm not going for the Falcons anymore. Seven and nine. Seven and ten. How are you feeling now? Well, not great because I really kind of look forward to making fun of you about the Falcons. It's kind of turned into a thing now. Every single time people are like, Wow, they were so bad last year. Could you be more disappointing? I just get a little grin on my face wherever I'm at and be like, Steven's such an idiot. When the Raiders go 2-2, two and two, then lose 6 straight, I'll remember that. No, guess what? No, you're wrong. We go and we get to 500 before the wheels fall off. Now we can't go 500 unless we get a tie. So guess what? The jinx is gone. The Raiders are the best team in football again, 17-0. Here we come. I'll keep it flowing here. I'll go down to my home state, North Carolina, where the Carolina Panthers over-under is set at 7.5. Over is plus 105, under at minus 125. Parted ways with Teddy Bridgewater, who now plays for the Denver Broncos. They acquired Sam Darnold in a trade from the New York Jets. They also add Daquan Jones, Hassan Reddick, Cam Irving, 
What was what? Pat Elflin? Elfin? Elfine? Elfin? Elfline. Buckeye, Elfline. baby. Pat Elfline. Cool. I'm just going to go ahead and race this, you biased fuck. Key losses, like I was saying. They had Teddy Bridgewater, AJ Bouye, who they lost there in that secondary. A nice veteran player you always want to have in that locker room. As well as Curtis Samuel, who had a great year with Christian McCaffrey out, taking a lot of the jet sweep running roles, even playing some downs at the running back position. And we clearly know if you look at his stats, he was balling in the receiving part of it, which is what he's really playing. He's up in the Washington football team. Then they picked J.C. Horn, eighth overall. Going to be an absolute stud. And, of course, the son of former New Orleans Saints rival Joe Horn. We all know the flip phone celebration. That's that's what I remember as the first celebration. That mixed with anything Ocho Cinco did. Me, Carolina Panthers, I have it at the under at six wins. And you could even – I would even take the under because I could teeter, teeter-tar between – another game of them winning, which would put them right at seven. But this is a full rebuild, right? You got Christian McCaffrey back, who's an absolute stud. You got Sam Donald, who's in a proven year, so he can get another contract if it's either from Carolina or another team. Defensively, J.C. Horn is going to be an absolute monster. That's a guy who's going to start from day one. We've seen the videos from his training camp. He is locking down people. He's going to be a Pro Bowl player for that team. He could do that from week one. But their schedule, you know, you got Dallas week four. You got the Vikings week six, the Giants week seven, the Patriots with a couple question marks week nine, the Cardinals week 10. You got the football team and the Miami Dolphins with the Bills. And, of course, you play the Bucks two of the last three games of the year. That's just a very tough schedule. With how close this team was playing without Christian McCaffrey and what seems like what Teddy Bridgewater was doing was not efficient enough to keep him around. And they were still in a lot of one-possession games last year. But I see this team taking a couple steps back with such a young roster and such a huge question mark yet again at that quarterback position. I'm taking them for the under right now. So I actually disagree here. Again, keeping with the trend of going against what Vegas is is calling the favorite at the moment. I'm taking the over at plus 105. I do think that they crack over seven and a half. I think that you're going to see Sam Darnold have a really solid year in a year that kind of surprises a lot of people. And I think I would even have been surprised if I said this a few months ago, but everything that you're hearing about those guys that actually like sit down and, and like study every single play of these guys career, they're telling you, Hey, this playbook was just an absolute brutal thing to observe. This was a lot on Adam Gase and a lot less on Sam Darnold, which I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of jumped to conclusions to say it was a mixed bag. And apparently it's not so mixed. It sounds like it's very much on Gase. It'll be interesting to see where he lands, if he ever lands again in the NFL at a higher level, whether that be an OC or not. I will say this. You you did mention AJ Boye. I'm not too worried about that. I'm not too worried about Teddy Bridgewater. Curtis Samuel's a big deal. Because if you do lose Christian McCaffrey to any time for injury, which last year we saw him go down for quite a duration of time, missed most of the year, I want to say. I want to say he only played a couple games. And when he went down, Curtis Samuel became a focal part of that offense. Do they have another guy that can be that H-back or guy that steps into slot that can kind of do a little bit of everything? Whether that be as a receiver, whether that be as a rusher, I don't know if you're going to be able to have that security blanket. And that's my biggest concern about this team. If they don't hit the over, 
I do think that McCaffrey went down because that's going to be very hard to overcome again without that steady backup like that. And again, I know Samuel wasn't starting H-back even after that point, but even the five rushes a game, it it, it really could change the pace. It could speed up the game. Ah, Man, I'm really close. If there's one in this division, I'm not really comfortable either way. It's this team because there are so many things that could make this a variable. And if Sam Darnold goes down, who are you going to throw in there? If Christian McCaffrey goes down, who are you going to throw in there? And I, I think that that's my biggest concern. But I do think that they get the eight wins. It probably won't be much higher than eight, but I could see them hovering right around that 500 plateau just as well as quite a few other teams here. Now let's talk about the Super Bowl champs, the defending Super Bowl champs. Tom Brady, he's on his quest for eight now. That's still kind of bizarre to say out loud. I, I mean, he'd be the first guy. I, I mean, what? He's like he's turning into Bill Russell of the NFL, and the only difference is that Tom's also the GOAT. Like, Bill Russell, nobody has that conversation like, oh, 11 NBA titles in 13 years, he's the greatest ever. You looked like you were about to say some people were. Is that what you were going to say? Oh, absolutely not. But now he's doing it with two different teams. True. Very true. It's scary. The culture that he's able to just cultivate, just being around there in such a short period of time, a time where they didn't even have an off-season program. Now they have an off-season program and they're returning all 32 st- or 22 starters. I'm scared. Yeah, and I think the whole NFL should be a little, but I should have told you at the beginning of this, the over is minus 150. The under is plus 125. I'm actually going with the under, though. This is for a couple reasons. It's so hard, whether you win, whether you lose, to come back after the Super Bowl. You don't have as as much rest as everybody else does. It's really hard to get right back on that grind right, right away. Plus, you're getting everybody's best shot that next year, that next couple of years. And you know everybody wants to beat Tom Brady and those Buccaneers now, especially since this is the same team. How rare is it in any level of athletics to run it back when you win a championship like this. They truly are running it back. Their defense is going to return all their starters. They brought in Giovanni Bernard, which will be a fun little addition to the passing game out of the backfield. I mean, they they even brought in a, a fun edge rusher in Joe Tryon that I think a lot of people had pegged to get drafted in the top 20. So this team, in theory, should win more than that. The reason I'm going with the under is just what I said. I just think that that... That marathon of going back-to-back will catch up to them in the regular season. This has nothing to do with them in the postseason because I do think they'll be in the postseason. I think that they'll win this division, even if that means they have 10 or 11 wins. But I do think they're on the under. I think the biggest key for them, it's going to be how they do against the Saints. If they are able to sweep them, I do think that 12 isn't exactly out of the realms of possibility by any stretch. But I'm going to say they go 11-6 and just under that and again that's plus 125 so if you agree with me that's great value you should definitely look into that team bucks haven't been wrong on them not ever going to be wrong on them i have them hitting me over here at 13 and 4 right now i have them winning the division easily i have them winning by six games i had atlanta as my number two team with the with seven wins so that's a little bit of a precursor of how i think of what the new orleans saints are going to be able to do this year which is really not much but we're talking about the Buccaneers. I mean, you start off with Dallas and Atlanta, both at home. You go out to L.A., then you go to Foxborough, the house that Brady built, except Brady's your quarterback. Cannot wait. But then you got then you got the Eagles, 
You got the Bears that are going to be a huge question mark. Like I was saying, I'm not really that high on the New Orleans Saints. You played Carolina two times a year, which I'm not really that high on, as well as the Atlanta Falcons, again, which I'm not really that high on. But you got some tough games against that Giants team. That was really the only team that gave them a run for their money over that nine, ten-week span where they went on from, what, week 13 on to win the Super Bowl. Buffalo Bills team, which is going to be fun. Like I said, they're playing against the Rams, and they're playing against the Washington football team, which will always be a fun matchup. And that team also gave them a little bit of run for their money in the playoffs during the wild card weekend. But it's hard for me to get bet against Tom Brady. I feel like last year we were talking about how Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, those are the people you do not want to bet against. And last year I was feeling maybe this is the year we can start betting against Tom, get ahead of that curve, make some real money. Boy, were we wrong. Well, mostly Wally was wrong because I hopped right back on that train. Giovanni Bernard, throw him in the backfield. Maybe they'll use him, unlike what they did with LaShawn McCoy. Man, that defense is going to be scary yet again. Like you said, returning all, all 11 starters, adding some good depth in the draft, and all these guys are in their prime or just about to hit their prime. They don't really have that old guy outside of JPP bringing back Ndamukong Sue. Those are your old guys, and they're still extremely dominant. So we'll see if that defense is looking to be number, what, top three, and Tom Brady-led offense with the full offseason is going to be scary. I just, for the last time, and I'll, you know, actually I'll probably do it one more time going into the season when we do that final preview show where it's going to basically be our records for everybody. We'll do comeback play to year, stuff like that. But I will say at least one more time, you called it. If people aren't aware, preseason last year, you did have the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. You jumped off that train, but you were back on it, and you ultimately deserved a little credit, so credit to you. You did call that, so little plate golf clap for you. And So nice and modest. That's why we keep bringing you back. I'm trying to be. That's all I can say is I'm trying, but the one thing I will say, too, is that you had a great point there, and I completely forgot, but talk about game of, I mean, regular season, game of your life. Tom Brady going back to Foxborough, can you think of another regular season game that has no, like, records, I guess. Like, you know, Drew Brees, Monday Night Football game. Beyond those kind of games, has there been a game that's been more anticipated? Because I really can't think of one off the top of my head. No, because we, we're never in this position like this, you know. The only one I can think of is when the Broncos are playing the Colts. Because I'm pretty sure they played out Lucas Oil during that four-year span that Peyton went to Denver. But even then... That left on a that was on a good note. It's like, hey, you know, we got this next surgery. We just so happen to be able to be in the position we are to draft Andrew Luck. Let's part ways peacefully. It wasn't as peaceful, Tom Brady parting ways with Foxborough and the New England Patriots. So agreed. This is going to be the most anticipated comeback home game for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers this year. And I cannot wait. How that one has been circled on. And that's probably the most talked about game that we have talked about individually outside of our own teams that we are all focused in on. Yeah, and I mean, the fans still love Brady up there, naturally. But you're right, because I do feel like there was a little bit of animosity between Brady and Belichick purely because when you're that great, when you're that competitive as those two guys are, it's natural to say, you know what, I want to be the alpha here. And six Super Bowls later, they both wanted to prove it on their own. So it will be a lot of fun that, I mean, that's going to be all that people want to talk about 
the week preceding and the week following that. So definitely something to keep an eye on and looking forward to it. I mean, that's only like six months away, Steven. We're counting it down. Like you said, leading, you know, leading into the podcast, we have all these sports to hold us over. And then when that all ends here in June, July, we're going to be glomming on to OTAs preseason lack thereof. We only got two games this year. That's all we need. Let's get down. Nolan's. To wrap it up here with our final team that we are covering, the, the New Orleans Saints, over under set at nine, both the over and under at minus 110 for that. But set at nine, key additions, obviously, you have Nick Vanette, a lot of key losses on this offensive side of the ball. Drew Brees, the legendary quarterback, retiring. Emmanuel Sanders finding a new home in, for the Buffalo Bills. Then you have Jared Cook, the tight end that has had his most productive years. In New Orleans, not on the team as well. Then you got defensive side of the ball, Janoris Jenkins, Sheldon Rankins, as well as Trey Hendrickson, who made a new home here in Ohio with the Cincinnati Bengals. New Orleans top three draft picks, all defense. You know, Peyton Turner, that DN from Houston at 28. Pete Warner, linebacker from Ohio State. Then you got Paulson Adebo, the cornerback from Stanford. So they are building on that defensive side of the ball. Talk about keeping it young mixed with a nice veteran presence in that locker room. I am not high on the Saints this year. I have them at 4-13 and 13 at the bottom of the NFC South. I think that carousel of quarterback play that they have and the uncertainty that we have around it, overpaying Taysom Hill to play whatever we want to imagine that he is going to play, that's either quarterback, tight end, running back, linebacker, punter, kick return, whatever you want to line him up as. Also bringing in Jameis Winston to have that quarterback battle. We all know what Jameis Winston's past is, and I know he's sulking in it because his past just won a Super Bowl just by adding Tom Brady. Literally, that's it. They just added Tom Brady, a couple key pieces as well. I'm not very high in the Saints because I don't know what they can do. Their defensive side of the ball is obviously very excellent. They've had a top 5-7 defense here over the past couple years. That's how they were able to become back to relevancy over the last you know, last few years of Drew Brees' career. Offensively, I don't know what I should expect. You have Alvin Kamara there, and that's really about it. You got Roquan Smith on the outside. Yeah, you got Mike Thomas, who's coming off an ankle injury. We'll see how that timing is, if he's ever going to get close to that 140-plus catch mark without running those slants, because you have an all-time great quarterback throwing them to you. So I feel like they can really single out or zone in on someone to disrupt that whole offense as a defensive opponent standpoint. So there's a lot of question marks, a lot of eyebrow raises for this New Orleans Saints offense. I'm not that high. I have that under clear by almost half of what they're putting at, more than half. I have them under at four games, and I'll leave it to you to just, just – I now, now the target is back. The target is back on the back, Walter. Yeah, this this is tough just because – I mean, I do think there will be a fall-off, and I'm still, even as I'm talking right now, I'm not sure what I'm going to tell you guys if I'm going over or under. I can tell you for a fact they're not going to only win four games, though. This team still has a ton of talent. I know that they lost quite a few guys. You just talked about it. They were in salary cap hell, really went all in. It didn't work out when the Drew Brees end of his little tenure there. I don't know, though. I, I'm going to just go with my initial gut. I'm actually going to ride with the over here. I think nine's actually, like, being a wash is very possible. I think they'll hover right around 500, maybe a couple games above. I mean, this is so tough. It's, it's you, you can't even trust yourself to give your too early pick right now. 
That's how I know you're full of shit. Well, it's it's Four the wins. difficulty. Four wins. That's all. It's the difficulty of trying to figure out how much of this credit of the Saints' success in the last ten years should be attributed to Drew Brees, how much of it should be attributed to Sean Payton, and how much of it was a mix. I do think ultimately a mix is probably the right thing to say here. You know, I was critical of Sean Payton a few months ago here, saying realistically, what's he done? That was gonna be my that was gonna be my next argument. Well, offensively, yeah. like I was saying, I don't trust him. But then we were talking about, and I was, and I was definitely on your side. We'd have to look it up, but he only has a couple. He only has a handful of more wins than like a Jeff Fisher or something. We'd have to go back to the tape and really look for it. But yeah, you're really showing how much you trust in Sean Payton, though. Well, and this, I will say this: this was, as you guys all know, this was more of a preview, more than our final gambling picks. Come when we do our final big giant show. Right before the start of the regular season, I'll have a nailed down definitive pick for you. As of this moment, it's like a 55 45. I'm going over. But if it's under, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I just know for a fact it's not going to be four wins. So that, I think, might end up being your Atlanta Falcons pick this year, Steven. You don't know for a fact it's not going to be four wins. They could just get a. And, and I'm just going to recycle this. They can just get into like a, you know, Marshall University type deal and just fucking, you know, hit that under. That is so dark. Why? What is your infatuation with the Marshall plane crash? I don't know. I just, I just like killing. That's a Rick and Morty reference if you can't pick it up. Yeah, I didn't pick it up. So I'm just like over here like questioning everything. I'm like, will there be a 37th? Will there be a 37th episode? I don't know. I might be dead. Just don't ride any planes. It's a quick, it's a quick car ride from Pittsburgh to, uh. Columbus so I'm not too worried that you're gonna have to go through that mental strain man I got no comment on that I did you like I said you know where I'm at in terms of my belief in the Saints Plane crashes I'm like I'm literally like in shock right now I've got like nothing of value to add you know that I think that they're a very average out of the ordinary that's true I don't believe that this team is a playoff team I don't believe this team is also in that top five to top 10 picks in the next year draft discussion either. I think they're just stuck in that weird position in the middle and they're really excited for the cap to go back up. I'll say that much. This will either result in Sean Payton actually being that offensive mastermind coming to light or people are going to finally realize, you know, are we actually overhyping Sean Payton too much? Maybe he's really not that good of a coach. This is going to be the make or break next couple seasons, but most importantly this season. That all you got? Yeah, I really don't have anything else. If, like I said, I I'd be lying to you guys if I if I picked one way or another right now and told you definitively that's where my money will be. And with that, we are going to wrap up another episode here of Loss of Down. Of course, he is Walter Lukashensky. I am Stephen Weed. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We have Facebook and Instagram at Loss of Down, and of course, your Twitter ran by yours truly, Mister Walter. Down underscore loss because for some reason he can't just message the dude that has 12 followers and say, Hey man, can you delete this so I can get this name? Bribe you $20? No, he's too lazy because he's a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. Before I send my the fine people off here, do you have anything to add? No, not much. I will say that the Pirates, you just brought them up. They did take two out of three against the Cleveland Indians this weekend, which. I mean, it was fun because I had a buddy here from Cleveland and we were painting this weekend, so we got to watch those games. And, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't root against the Indians much, so I actually would have been a little 
happy if they want. I, I, I've got nothing. I, I've got nothing. I, I literally have got nothing for you. Oh, no. Actually, you know what? I got one thing for you, Steven. Tampa Bay is about to eliminate the Islanders. So we're halfway there to get the Dream Stanley Cup final. We need Vegas to win two straight games because out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Montreal has some magic voodoo stuff going on right now. And they look, they're a win away from being in the Stanley Cup final, which would also put them four wins away from being the first Canadian team to win a Stanley Cup since 1993, just coincidentally, also won by the Montreal Canadiens. Until a couple weeks later, again, he is Walter Lukashensky. I am Stephen Weed. This is Loss of Down, and we'll see you in two weeks. Coke's ten times better than Pepsi. If you like Pepsi more, you're an idiot. still considered 500 if you tie a game i think that's how it works no because technically you never lost it or won it so you wouldn't gain anything i think they almost subtracted i'd have to check yeah eight eight and one i would have guessed would be 500 but i guess maybe no i don't don't know who's the last team to tie oh god it was probably the Bengals or the eagles i feel like was that this past year i was gonna say those, those two seem like they're in a tie every other year but the Bengals. Tied, I think, Washington a couple years ago. And I know they tied, I think, Philadelphia last year. I think it was last year. I think it was in Joe Burrow's rookie year. Oh, yeah, they did do it last year. God, I'm too good at this. Ooh, yeah. Too bad <laughs> you're a fucking cuck. Yeah, and so? Yeah, 4-11-1. and one. Yeah, because they should, you know, they've won, they won four of their 16 games. Right? The Bengals did. Yes. So that, that would, would put be them at 250. 250. Yeah. But they tied, and they're at 281. How does that even work? I, I, Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be smart enough to figure this out on the fly. That might no, be I'm something not. we come back edited. and say. <laughs> That's, edited. I almost don't want to edit it out. I almost want them to see that we're morons. I think they already they're, I like they they know. I think they already know. At this point. <laughs> they know we're morons at this point. What I might do is I might literally edit this, cut it, and throw it in after the song. So if anybody chooses to listen that long, it could be a fun little like bonus bullshit yeah. for them. I like that idea. Cool. I like that idea.